You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 22. In today's Tidbit Tuesday, I'm going to answer two listener questions about planning images and about my decision to switch to mirrorless. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hey everyone, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. Thanks so much for tuning in today and spending a little part of your day with me chatting about photography. Before we dive into today's questions, I just want to let you know that there's still time to register for my Compose with Clarity live virtual workshop, which will be held in September. In this workshop, you'll learn how to effectively use compositional elements like light, contrast, shapes, lines, and color to create meaningful and impactful images that are uniquely yours. We'll talk about different compositional arrangements and how to use them based on how our brains work to perceive visual information. So if you're feeling stuck and want to elevate your approach to composition, then I hope you check it out. As a podcast listener, I'm giving you 15% off the registration fee when you use the special link composewithclarity.com to register. There, you'll find more details about the workshop. You'll be able to see what previous students had to say and get the 15% discount. So again, go to composewithclarity.com to learn more. And I hope you join us. As you know, I love hearing from you. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast, you can submit your question by clicking the link in the episode description or the link at outdoorphotographyschool.com forward slash podcast. Or you can simply email me your question at brenda at outdoorphotographyschool.com. Our first listener question today comes from Sam. Hi, Brenda. Um, I have to tell you, you your podcast, your, your video tutorials, they're all fantastic. I'm an ardent follower of your um, program and please continue doing good work. I think you, he's really being extremely helpful. Uh, the one question that I had, Brenda, was uh, it's all about planning, right? To me, uh, if you can have a podcast or something to the effect that addresses that, a lot of beginning photographers just go and shoot pictures, but I think planning plays an important role, including the use of photo pills, but primarily, how do we plan? You know, what, what, what does the planning involve? Does it involve planning before, thinking about what kind of photograph you want to take? Plan, be, once you've decided what you want to take, then what kind of plan you want to make? What is the plan on the day of the photography? Um, so if you can divide it into several sections of the pre-planning and the planning and the actual planning, it'll really be helpful. Thank you. Have a great day. Oh, thank you, Sam. I really appreciate your kind words, and I'm so glad you are enjoying the podcast and the other Outdoor Photography School content. So planning. When building out your technical skills as a photographer, planning is a valuable tool to have in your toolbox for if and when you need it. 
just like learning certain post-processing techniques like focus stacking, exposure blending, or luminosity masks, these are all helpful to know and understand, but you wouldn't use them for every image. And I approach planning in the same way. It's just another tool in my photography toolbox. And in fact, it's one that I rarely use. Now, that might be a surprise to some of you since I created a whole video series on how to use the PhotoPills planning app over on the Outdoor Photography School YouTube channel. But I made those videos not because I use PhotoPills all the time, but because it's a difficult app to learn and it's super helpful to know how to use it if you need it. So I almost never plan an image unless it's a night sky image where celestial bodies are part of the composition and I need to know where they will be in the sky on a certain date at a certain location. The reason I approach my photography this way is because this leaves a door open for me to explore nature without any preconceived ideas as to what I may find. And I often discover compositions that I never would have expected, and I find that to be really rewarding. It also helps me to be more creative in the moment rather than be disappointed when conditions don't align with my well-designed plan. Now, I understand that other people may approach photography in a very different way, and I'm not saying that my approach is better, but I do encourage you to consider that having a plan isn't the only way to create impactful or meaningful images. In fact, I think not having a plan can open up more photographic opportunities for you. With all that said, now let's talk about planning. There are many ways to approach planning depending on where you're going and the type of images you hope to create. So I don't think it would be very practical for me to give you a step-by-step -step process. So instead, I'll give you an overview of how I approach planning that can then be tweaked based on your individual needs. So there are basically four buckets of information that I tend to think about when planning a trip or a specific image, and they are location, potential subjects or compositions, safety and regulations, and my modes of travel, both in getting to a location and once I'm on location. Back in episode 14, I talked about traveling with your camera gear, so I won't go into the details of that today, but be sure to check out that episode because I give a bunch of tips on how to determine what gear to bring and what to leave home and various considerations based on travel modalities. So let's talk about the first three buckets. If I'm heading to a location that I'm not yet familiar with, then one of the first steps I take is to get to know the area in terms of terrain, notable features, climate, and the weather for the time of year that I plan to be there. I'll research tourism bureaus or state and national park websites. I'll look up recommended day hikes with trail maps. And I'll also look up images of the area to get a sense for what the landscape is like. Now, I never want to copy someone else's composition, but I do find that looking at images, usually through just a simple Google search, is helpful in determining what the area is like and where I might want to spend the most amount of time if I have that kind of flexibility. Once I've honed in on a location or a set of locations, then I think about the kind of photography I want to do and the potential compositions I might create when there. For example, if I want to photograph the grand landscape or do night sky photography, then I'll know I'll need to find some open viewpoints or vistas. 
On the other hand, if I'm going for quiet scenes and or wildlife, then I'll prioritize hikes and backpacking or even paddling routes. And lastly, although I don't do it very much, I'll also consider whether the location would be good for drone or aerial photography. And answering these questions will help you figure out not only where you might want to focus your time and attention, but also what kind of gear you will need to bring along. Next, I'll then use Google Earth to explore the area and the terrain in more detail. And I'll use the 3D function in Google Earth to get a sense for what potential viewpoints might be like. If I plan to hike, I'll download trail maps and or buy topographic maps of the region. And an app that I often use and recommend for planning and recording hikes is called Gaia GPS. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And if I'm planning a specific image, like the moon rising over a mountain peak or a Milky Way or sunset image, then I'll start making more specific plans using PhotoPills. And for any listener who wants to learn the PhotoPills planning app, I encourage you to check out PhotoPills Friday, which was the weekly video series I did last year during the pandemic, where I show you step-by-step how to use the app for planning different kinds of images. And I'll link to those videos in the show notes if you want to check them out. The next step I take in the planning process is to research any local regulations like permits or any restrictions like no drones or no tripods. I'll also research the wildlife in the area and whether or not I would need to take any extra precautions based on animal behavior. For example, is it mating season or if I'm heading out into bear country, I'll need to make sure to carry bear spray or even go with a guide. Lastly, weather and climate are also very important to consider when it comes to safety and what to pack in terms of outdoor clothing, gear, and hydration. And if you're interested in what sort of outdoor gear I pack and what sort of gear I use for winter photography, I'll link to two articles that I wrote on the Outdoor Photography School website that go into detail on these topics. Our next listener question is a write-in from Gary. Gary writes, I'm getting closer and closer to moving to mirrorless. Please talk about your experience with mirrorless, the pros and cons. How is it for landscape? If you've shot wildlife, how has that experience been? I've heard of some focusing issues when shooting wildlife. I think you mentioned you got a Nikon. Do you recommend it? Thank you, Gary, for this question. While we don't really talk about gear on this podcast, I am happy to share my experiences. I've had the Nikon Z7 full-frame mirrorless camera for about a year now after upgrading from my Nikon D810. At the time, my choices were either the D850 or the Z7 because the Z7 II didn't come out until later. And I do a lot of hiking with my camera gear and I've had surgeries in both knees. And so lightening up my load was a top priority in my decision. So ultimately, I went with the Z7, even though I'm not thrilled that it only has one memory card slot, which the Z7 II now has. Before I bought the Z7, I rented it and the D850 from Borrow Lenses, which I highly recommend anyone doing if they're in the market for a new body. By making this small investment, I was able to play with the camera bodies for about a week using my different lenses and photographing different subjects to see which one I preferred. I was surprised to discover that the FTZ adapter, which allows my F mount lenses to be compatible with the mirrorless Z mount, worked really well with all of my lenses, including those from third party manufacturers like Sigma, 
although it didn't work perfectly with my Tamron 24 to 70 millimeter lens. And apparently Tamron lenses will work with the Z system, but you need to download some firmware first. And I ultimately decided to sell the Tamron and use the Nikkor Z 24 to 70 millimeter lens since its performance was just as good, if not better than the Tamron. And it's a heck of a lot lighter and more compact. In terms of quality of the images that I got from the D850 and the Z7, they were indistinguishable. So my decision came down to form factor since function was pretty identical between these two camera bodies. And I'll admit, I was pretty sad to say goodbye to my D810 until I spent more time with the Z7, and then I never looked back. Because the system is significantly lighter, especially when you use the Z-mount lenses, I have found that I bring my camera along much more than I used to, and my knees and back are a lot happier with me as well. And so I've since added the Z6 II to my kit as a backup body, and I've started to sell off my F-mount lenses as Nikon comes out with more of the Z-mount lenses. So obviously, I love how light and compact the mirrorless system is, but in terms of function, what do I love about it? Well, first, as with all mirrorless systems, the LCD and the Electronic Viewfinder, or EVF, display the scene with your exposure settings already applied. So what you see is what you get. And I like to rely on the histogram rather than the camera's meter to determine my exposure settings. And I can set it so that I can actually see the histogram in the EVF, which is really handy. Unlike other models of mirrorless cameras, I have not observed any delay in the EVF, nor have I had any issues with battery drain in these cameras, which was a common complaint when this technology first came out. I've also enjoyed the focus shifting feature on the Z7, which I know the D850 also has, because it makes creating focused stacked images in the field a lot easier. And I mostly photograph landscapes and intimate nature scenes, and the Z7 and Z6 II have been absolutely fantastic for that. I've not experienced any autofocus issues, although I don't do a whole lot of wildlife photography to know for sure how well the continuous autofocus works, since I, I really have not tested that extensively. So if anyone listening has any experience with this in the Nikon system or in other mirrorless systems, please feel free to share it with us all in the comments section of the show notes. Lastly, what don't I like about the mirrorless system? Well, not much, if I'm being honest. The main issue I have is that I used to occasionally use the optical viewfinder as a way to scope out potential compositions, and I could do so without turning the camera on. But with the mirrorless camera, you have to turn it on in order to be able to see through the EVF. And you also need to make sure that you stay on top of any firmware updates. And that's just another thing that you have to remember to do. So the bottom line, do I recommend the Z7 and Z6 series of camera bodies from Nikon? Absolutely, yes. And if you are considering switching camera bodies, I recommend renting first because I think it will help you make your decision regardless if you're going with Nikon or Canon or Sony. All right, thanks so much for listening to this Tidbit Tuesday and for your submitted questions. I appreciate you listening and I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. All of the links and other relevant information I mentioned today can be found in the show notes at outdoorphotographyschool.com forward slash episode 22. And don't forget to check out composewithclarity.com to learn more about my upcoming live workshop and to register with the 15% discount. 
So quick question for you. Who would you like to hear on the podcast? If there is a photographer whose story and perspectives you'd like to learn more about, please send me an email at brenda at outdoorphotographyschool.com with your recommendation. And if they're a good fit, I'll do my best to get them on the show. And speaking of a good fit, I'll be back here next week with Colorado-based nature photographer Jennifer Renwick to chat about what it's like to be a full-time photographer, finding abstract compositions in nature, and the value of photography projects. So be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss out on this great conversation or any of our upcoming episodes. And so until then, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care.